1: Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is Cuda Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we'll recap the last three games with highlights, and we'll chat with Barracuda forward Jasper Weatherby. On Saturday, the Barracuda began a home-in-road with the Stockton Heat to round out their 10-game season series with their Northern California rival. Just one minute and eight seconds into the opening period at the Stockton Arena, Mason Yopst, in just his third game in a Barracuda sweater, would find the back of the net to get things started. It was Kevin Gravel, the veteran blue liner who teed it up from the point. Barracuda back through center. Yopst guides the along. Peterson works in the blocker's say, Big rebound! They score! Mason Yopst has his first in a Barracuda sweater as he... Fleets up the big juicy rebound and fires it past Dustin Wolf. And the Barracuda draw for his blood on their first shot of the night. It comes one minute and eight seconds in. Unfortunately, after the goal by Yops, the Stockton Heat would score the next seven unanswered goals. At 7.24, Connor Zeri would find the back of the net for his tenth of the year. On the penalty kill, Valimaki left wing side, top circle. Kirkland shot off the post and he scores. What a snipe by Justin Kirkland. He's got goals in back-to-back. Gaines points now at six straight. And the time of the goal at the 7.24 mark. Then, at 1856, down a man, Eetu Tulolo would carry the puck down the right wing and beat Zach Sachenko's short side to give Stockton its first lead of the game. Barra could have been susceptible for the last three games on the power play, and they've given up another short-handed goal. Sachenko had not sealed the near post, and Tulolo beats him, and the Heat have taken a two-to-one lead. Sachenko suffered a lower body injury in the first period and was unable to return in the second, meaning Alex Stalock would relieve Sochenko in the middle period. At 14:34, again, Tulola would find the back of the net to give Stockton a 3-1 lead. One goal late. DeSimone shot it towards the net. Didn't get through. The body's in front. Now Goldberg changes direction. Threw it in front. There's a chance. Great stop. And the rebound cleaned up. They score. Tulola's got consecutive goals. And the pressure... Continued to mount and finally it boils over. Then in eighteen forty six of the second period, Matt Phillips would light the lamp with his team leading twenty-sixth of the year to give the Heat a four to one advantage. In the third, Stockton would score three more times, Glenn Godden would light the lamp at two fifty-two, then Phillips would score again at eleven seventeen, his twenty seventh, and Adam Raziksha with just fifteen seconds remaining in regulation would cap off the seven to one Stockton victory. The following night, the two teams would run it back on Sunday at the SAP Center. At 2.34 the second period after a scoreless first, veteran captain Byron Fraze would open up the scoring with his 18th of the year. Near side, Matt Phillips. Back, Walensky. Phillips will twist it to Walensky. Fakes the shot. Left wing side. Pospisal thrown in front. Off the post. And somehow, now it's in. Didn't go in initially. And the Heat score. That puck bounced around in the crease. And finally, it's tucked in. And Stockton draws first blood here in the opening frame. At 2.40 of the second period, Connor Zeri would give the Heat a bit of insurance with his second goal in his many games in his 11th of the year. Take a 1 0 lead. Heat aren't done. Zeri's shot scores! Connor Zeri right off the ensuing faceoff, right down Main Street, and he beats Alex Staylock. Two shots, two goals for the Heat. In the third period, the Barracuda would finally break through on the power plate and cut into Stockton's lead at 138, as Artemi Kenyazov would pound one in from the point to make it a 2-1 score. To the left point, Kinyazov's shot, same-made puck was loose, it comes back to the point, Kenyazov, he'll try again, he scores! All right, Tommy Kinyasov, his first shot was blocked. He did not hesitate, and a frozen rope from the midpoint beats Dustin Wolf, and the Barracuda on their fifth power play finally breaks. Unfortunately, the Barracuda were never able to tie the game up, and at 1903, Justin Kirkland would seal the victory with an empty netter. The Barracuda would return back to the ice for one game on the road, an early start, a 10-30 puck drop at the Mechanics Bank Arena in Bakersfield. After no goals were scored through the first 19 minutes of the first period, Yanni Caldas would get things started on the power play for the Condors. It's around the wall, Perlini, shovels it down low for Malone. He centers, Cracknell, hurried, Holloway, back, Caldas shot scored! Alex Stalock never went down he never saw the shot get funneled towards the net then in the second period Bakersfield would add on to its lead while shorthanded James Hamblin would cash in his 18th of the year and his seventh against the Barracuda and it's taken away by Nima Leinen and lugged back through center Barracuda a little bit out of sorts on this power play Hamblin trying to see a pass got it back he's going to score a shorthanded goal James Hamblin on the backhand And the Condors take a 2-0 lead. In the third, down by two, the Barracuda would begin its comeback. Joachim Blickfeld on the team's fifth power play, would light the lamp with his 23rd of the year and his 12th on the man advantage. The 12 goals on the power play this season set a new single-season franchise record, which was previously set by Danny O'Regan back in the 2016-17 season. Alkin his wrists are through traffic, same main Skinner. Another chance! They score! Joachim Blickfeld gets a rebound and pots it under the crossbar on the short side. Down by a goal, Jaden Holmgawaks would manage to tie the score up at 15-33 with his 17th of the year. Hulpe he has it, works it, Hulpe He scores! The game would need overtime, and in the extra session, it was the Condors would find a way to get that second point. Seth Griffith, with his 23rd of the year and his second overtime winner on this season, would score at the 148 mark to seal the Bakersfield 3-2 victory. To the backhand, has a step, works it, scores! Oh my goodness, what a finish by Seth Griffith! who walked his way in on net and beats Alex Stalock under the crossbar. The Barracuda returned back to the SAP Center on Sunday night at 6 o'clock to welcome in the Henderson Silver Knights for back-to-back games. A reminder, the Sharks are in action on Saturday, meaning you can listen to our game strictly at sjbarracuda.com listen through the Sharks Plus SAP Center app, and also you can watch at ahltv.com. When we come back, we'll be joined by Jasper Weatherby, Barracuda forward. This is Cuda Confidential. Hear that? Yeah. Opportunity! barracuda hockey ahl affiliate of the san jose sharks and tickets start at just ten dollars join us for family fun at the sap center by going to sjbarracudacom tickets we are pleased to be joined by barracuda for jasper weatherby jasper first of all thank you so much for joining us how are things going things are going really well thanks for having me absolutely man it's been fun watching you this season it's your first year within the organization full-time as a player you were drafted a handful of years ago, but it's that first year really where you're able to ingratiate yourself with the community and within the organization. You started with the Sharks. You've been with the Barracuda a little bit here and there. You're with the team currently as we record this interview, but just give us your overall assessment on how the season has gone. Your first season of pro almost in the books. And I would say it's a pretty successful season. You've played over 40 games, in the NHL, but give us your assessment on how things have gone from your standpoint. Yeah, it's been really good. I think, you know, anytime you come to a new
0: organization and, and, take your first year of pro hockey. It's uh, there's going to be ups and downs. And um, for me, it's just kind of, you know, being a sponge and trying to learn as much as I can and uh, keep developing
1: and, and just growing my habits as a pro player. We'll go back to your college career a little bit, but I do want to ask, you were thought maybe to go back to North Dakota this past year, finish up your collegiate career as a senior. Now that doesn't happen a ton for guys who are drafted. They tend to skip that final season. That's due to some contract stuff. But the thought process Peel back the curtain for us. What influenced that decision? Now, of course, the Sharks, them wanting to sign you, I'm sure was a big influence, but was that a tough decision to forego your senior season and turn pro, or was that something that you had looked forward to for a long time and it was a pretty easy call?
0: Uh, A little bit of both, I think. Um, I initially had uh, decided to go back to school, um, show up to development camp, and realized, you know, I'm I'm pretty much ready. So um, I felt like the best thing to do for me uh, for myself was to uh, kick off my first year of pro. Um, I think obviously, when you leave a program like North Dakota, um, you know you miss a lot of things about that. Um, but again, you know I'm really happy I got to you know get my feet wet and and learn a lot about the pro
1: game. What during development camp and then the rookie tournament as well, you played really well. I think you had a goal in each each game, at least a couple of goals, but, what about those experiences kind of made you feel like, you know, I am ready for maybe the next level? And did you use those, the development camp and the rookie tournament's measuring sticks on where your game was compared to some of your peers?
0: Yeah, I think anytime you get an opportunity, even when you're a young kid um, to play against really talented players at and in kind of an event like that, you get to kind of measure yourself and, and see how you're doing. Um, so I think that was kind of eye opening for me. Um, and I think that the coaching staff and and managers here kind of felt the same. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, all right, if I'm going to make a stand for myself and and make, you know, try to play pro hockey, this is going to be the right time. And, um, you know, I think when, you know, preparation and
1: opportunity meet, you get something pretty, pretty special. I know one of the big things when you first signed, what the organization talked about was physically, you were no doubt ready. You're six, four over 200 pounds played college hockey for three years, able to build up your body, body from a physical standpoint. Did you feel that same way, like physically, not only from a skill standpoint, from a mental standpoint, but physically, I feel like i handle the rigors of the professional game. Yeah, I think, you know, you have that
0: expectation when you come in um, and then you learn pretty quickly that, you know, you're battling in a corner with Brent Burns and, and you're not a physical specimen anymore. So um, you have a lot of work to do. Um, but I think that, you know, learning those lessons quickly and trying to figure out how you can adapt as a player, as a person, as a pro, um, to come back and, and, and make some changes. Um, you know, there's no better experience than, you know, experience.
1: Let's go back to when it all started. You're a native of Ashland, Oregon. Oregon has not produced very many hockey players in the history of the NHL. You're one of a very, very small few. And I believe when you were in college hockey, you were the only player in the Division One level from the state of Oregon So what was hockey like as a young kid? I know we've talked about this a little bit off air. You were introduced to the game by a friend and it just happened by osmosis. But take us all the way back when you were a young kid, your first introduction to the sport, falling in love with the sport and how everything just kind of came to be where all of a sudden you're a hockey player from the state of Oregon. Yeah, I think that growing up, I tried to play all sorts of sports. I loved you
0: know, competing, whether it was cards with my family or uh, street basketball with my brother. Um, I tried to do everything and I think that uh, I kind of gravitated towards hockey. Um, it's a really small uh, hockey market in Oregon, but it's a really passionate kind of family atmosphere. You go to the rink, you see the same people um, you skate, you know, I'd skate with guys who were 70 or 70 years old. And I was, you know, 10 years old and drop-ins and stuff. So it's like a really, it's a kind of a family atmosphere with a lot of passionate people. Um, so I was really lucky to be from there. Um, obviously growing up, you realize you're not from a hockey hotbed. Um, so I kind of challenge myself to maybe, uh, pave a way for, for younger kids who, you know, maybe that's the
1: belief that they need that, Hey, someone else did it so I can do it too. I knew you grew up a big sharks fan. We'll talk a little bit about that fandom, but being from Oregon, you're not all that far away from San Jose. You're, you're kind of right at the border and you can correct me. I'm wrong, but it, it's what only like a six hour drive or something like that to get to San Jose. Would that be right? Yeah, less than six hours. Less than six hours. So if you think about it, you're technically closer to San Jose than someone coming from Los Angeles. So you think of Oregon as being so far away, it's really not all that far away. But did you have an opportunity to watch the Sharks? Was that your TV market? Like, How did you get introduced to the Sharks as the team that you rooted for?
0: Yeah, so when we started doing kind of travel tournaments as a young kid, we used to do the Silver Stick down here in San Jose and uh, other tournaments around this area. Um, and we'd always try to come to hockey games. San Jose is the first NHL game I ever went to and um, I actually tell people my stepdad's uh, from down here and he's had season tickets since they were a franchise um, which is pretty cool. So um, I think just being around uh, Sharks hockey since I was a young kid coming to uh, the practice facility and uh, skating on the you know playing tournaments there skating there and um, yeah I was really lucky up in Oregon it's you know everyone roots for the Sharks.
1: So growing up in Oregon, we talked about it being a kind of an unorthodox area for for hockey. When did you realize that you were pretty good at it? Because I'm sure there was that moment, that teetering moment where you didn't, you knew you were good, maybe better than the local competition, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, am I that good? Am I as good as kids who want to play in the NHL or play division one hockey? When did you come to the realization that I am, I'm pretty good and I'm not just good for my area, but I'm pretty good overall. I don't know if I ever came to that realization. Um, I guess I just kind of tried to always challenge
0: myself against the best players in my, in my Oregon or in, in Oregon. Um, I was pretty lucky to play some tournaments uh, up in Canada. um, I think when I was around 13 or 14 um, and I realized pretty quickly, like there's some unbelievable players out there who are at my age. Um, So my kind of mindset was always, how do I focus on the next day and the next week and the next month, trying to make myself better every day, um, challenging myself. Um, So I don't know if I really had a realization, um, but it was just, I think just kind of consistently working at it.
1: So tell us about your developmental path. I know you went from Oregon to Omaha. You played AAA hockey in Omaha. I know they have a USHL team too. So you elected to not play for the USHL team. You come back towards the West coast. You play the BCHL with Wenatchee. From Wenatchee, you go on to North Dakota, of course, drafted by the Sharks. So in your own words, take us through your developmental path and how you ended up now here in San Jose. Yeah. Um, so I realized uh, kind of leaving
0: uh, eighth grade that if I wanted to you know, follow my dreams, I was going to have to leave. So I actually spent two years in Ottawa, uh, Ontario uh, at a small like, school up there, um, realized quickly that most kids in Ontario wanted to play in the OHL. Um, me and my family are pretty set on college was going to be a uh, destination for myself. So, I uh, elected to come to Omaha. Um, again, I feel like every time I've taken a changed or, or moved or, you know, you kind of come up against that next wave of really good players. And, um, so mentally and physically, how can you adapt? Um, how can you become a better player and, and play in this, um, spent two years in Omaha it was great, um, for my development, a lot of hockey, um, and then yeah I went to uh, Wenatchee which is um, kind of I feel like where I kind of started coming on the, the map as a player and um, was lucky enough to get a division one you know scholarship and, and commitment and
1: uh, was lucky enough to get drafted by the Sharks. Before we go into committing and playing at North Dakota right in your backyard is Western Hockey League territory and you said that your family was pretty dead set on playing college hockey being though that you wanted to get to the highest level play in the NHL. In your mind, did you ever think about the WHL? Did you ever think about the Portland Winterhawks or was that just not even an option? I went to some
0: games for sure, um, but I'm a you know, ever since I was younger, I knew I was a little bit of a late bloomer, um, and I realized quickly that college gives you three to four more years to kind of hone your craft before you uh, have to you know make that decision. Um, also, while kind of building up uh, you know an education and 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 building your kind of you know mental state all, all in the same same, uh, same area. So, um, while I did get, you know, recruited for a couple, uh, WHL teams, um, it was always coming for me. Like I want to do college. It's going to give me, I think the best opportunity to be ready when the pros call.
1: Tell us about Wenatchee. What type of junior hockey experience was that?
0: Yeah. I think that for people who don't really know, Wenatchee is probably the biggest hidden gem in the junior hockey world. Um, from, you know, the ownership to management, to coaches, uh, they really treat players, you know, really well, um, and they give every, you know, they give kids the opportunities um, to move on to the next level. I think that without Wenatchee, I'm probably not sitting here talking to you. Um, I, you know,
1: s- stay in contact with that organization uh, still to this day. You guys won a championship. What was that run like? I know we we've talked about this a little bit. Your your season prior, you felt like you almost had a better group, but everything came together that following year. You guys go on a run, you win it all, but. Uh, what was that all about? What was that uh, experience like? Yeah, it was a really good experience.
0: I think my first year we were like stacked. Had a lot of really kind of older veteran players who were really good. Um, we went into the playoffs, I think is the one number one seed. And we ended up losing in the second round. Um, I think it's unique about the BCHL. I don't know if they still do it now, but they used to do it back in the days. Every series is seven games. So very similar to, to NHL. Um, and yeah we ended up losing in the second round to a really good team and um you know we lost almost our entire roster and um the second year we came back we really struggled but i think sometimes um people don't realize that you know through struggle you can actually learn a lot about you know yourself and and you can grow from that um and we kind of went into playoffs a little shaky and and had some really kind of heart to hearts with the team and you know how can we come together and um, yeah, the rest is is winning a
1: championship with that group, so something I'll remember forever. So you go on to North Dakota, prestigious Division One hockey program. It's a little bit far from home, probably a little bit of a culture shock from what you were used to in the Dakotas. All of a sudden, but what about North Dakota was an intriguing destination for you? And were there other schools that were in the thought process in the conversation? But again, how did you settle on North Dakota? Yeah, there was yeah big culture shock, I think for sure. It's
0: really cold and flat up there, and I'm from a small mountain town. So, um, yeah, I said on North Dakota. Um, I just wanted somewhere that was going to allow me to continue growing as a athlete and, and really dedicated to hockey while also adding that, um, you know, educational component. Um, I think people sometimes get kind of hung up on where their degrees are from. Um, I think, all colleges, all universities do an unbelievable job. So for me, it wasn't about trying to pick the most prestigious university. It was about picking somewhere that could help me grow with hockey um, and had, you know, the resources to also help my education.
1: So that year before you go to North Dakota, that summer, you're drafted by the Sharks in the fourth round. Not only are you drafted, but you're drafted by the team that you grew up rooting for. What was drafted like? Did you have any idea the Sharks were going to be a team that were interested? And then once you found out it was the Sharks, I'm sure that had to be the thrill of a lifetime. Yeah. I, uh,
0: so that year I had a pretty successful year and I think we won a championship. And um, I think anytime that you can do well as a team um, people look at that and say, you know, that's somewhere we, someone we want in our organization. Um, So as the season was going, I was talking to more and more teams Um, never actually talked to the sharks. I think I talked to almost every other team Um, and yeah, going into draft day, I I honestly didn't think I was going to get drafted. And if I was, it was probably going to be pretty late. Um, so I didn't go to the draft. Um, I was actually at school training in North Dakota. Uh, I was actually at, at a training session in the gym and, um, looked over at the TV and, and saw that one of my current teammates, or I guess one of my teammates and juniors had gone to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and then, you know, I was awesome. I was really excited about to send him a text and, you know, two or three picks later, I kind of saw my name there and I was like, you know, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. So, uh, called my dad and, and mom and, um, Yeah, it was it was a really it was a really special day.
1: So once you're drafted by the Sharks, of course, you begin and embark on your college career. That first season at North Dakota, just the three goals. But every year you gradually improved your offensive output. And I'm sure physically, mentally, everything continued to grow as you proceeded in your career. Tell us a little bit about the development, though, that you felt like you acquired during your time and how your game evolved too during your time at North Dakota.
0: Yeah, I think as I mentioned earlier, kind of every step you take is a new challenge. Um, so kind of wrapping your head around how can you get better and 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 what do you need to do to be successful at that level. Um, so yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't the best first year, but I think it's you know maybe not how you start, it's how you finish. Um, so every year I kind of looked at myself and and how can I improve. Um, I think I believe I went in there at around 190 pounds, um, you know, real scrawny kid. Um, and I was able to leave at about 2:20, So, um, I really kind of tried to take advantage of everything they offered us.
1: So how did the family settle on Oregon? Fill us in on kind of a path on how you guys got to Oregon. Cause it, it's not a straight path, right? You, you're both your parents are not originally from there.
0: Yeah, I know my dad immigrated over from England uh, when he was about 20 years old. Um, my mom was on the we- on the East coast. Um, and I guess some point my family decided to, to head over to Oregon for uh, big mountains and, and small towns so um, yeah they you know headed over there and uh, my mom still lives there now my dad's uh, lives up still in Oregon but north a little bit so
1: yeah. I'm guessing your dad is probably a soccer fan of some sort involved <laughs> in the game in, in some capacity were there other sports that you played beyond hockey
0: as a kid? Yeah you name it I probably played it um, from you know basketball with my brother and, and his friends and my friends outside to uh, pickleball, tennis, swimming. I played football. I played soccer. Um, I was kind of a sports junkie as a kid.
1: And um, I guess I just decided to stick with hockey. So who is the guy that you idolized as a kid? Who was a player that you, from a hockey standpoint, that you thought, man, I want to play like him? Uh, play, well,
0: play like him would be cool, but Crosby. Crosby, As I, I think the first year that I came into hockey was kind of his draft year. Um, so, you know, he was the, the Mecca of, of hockey at that time. And, um, I remember it was either you liked Crosby or you liked Ovechkin and
1: all my, me and my friends were all Crosby, uh, you know, Crosby, uh, fans. So you don't wear number 87 in honor of Sidney Crosby, but why did you settle on number 26? Was that a number that was given to you? Or is that a number that you ended up choosing given to me, given to you? So what, so what number did you wear again in college? Uh, 14. Do you have any sort of superstitions when it comes to numbers or is just like, I don't care. Give me whatever. Nope. Yeah. I'll wear whatever. I'm not too picky. So going into the sharks organization this year, you made the team out of training camp and not only do you make the team, but you score and you pick up an assist in your NHL debut. Could you have asked for a more storybook start to your career? And we got the win. I think that that's important too. Um,
0: no, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I think that, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And I had you know so many family and friends down there and it was like, it was just a, I think an awesome moment for everybody. Cause like I said, I, you know, I stand on the shoulders of those around me. And, um, I think that for them to be there and experience it, um, was, was
1: really cool. We've talked about this for a couple of months and we're going to do it. We're locking it in. We're going to go surfing one of these days. Yes. <laughs> and I know you like boogie boarding, but we're going to get you into surfing as well. And it's something I think that if you're going to be living in California, close enough to the coast, it's a must. You've got to learn to surf. You've got to at least try it a couple of times, but what are other things that you like to do away from hockey when you're not thinking about the sport? What things do you like to do for fun? I love being out, outdoors. Um, I think, you know, I grew up fishing
0: a ton, um, hiking, backpacking, camping. Um, so those are things I like to do. I, I always say that, you know, me and my, actually the guy who introduced me to hockey, uh, one of my childhood best friends, we try to take a fishing trip every year. Um, we did salmon fishing, uh, I think last year, and, and now we want to do a backpacking trip in, in, in Idaho, I think. So that's stuff I love to do. Um, you know, other than that, you know, walking the dogs, you know,
1: going up to to restaurants, stuff like that, just kind of a normal, normal things. We're talking to Barracuda for Jasper, Weatherby fishing. What's the biggest fish that you've ever caught? Uh, probably a
0: salmon, I think. Yeah. I was grew up doing a lot of salmon fishing off the coast of Oregon and, um, it was lucky enough to uh, reel in a nice nice big one uh, last summer
1: so was- well we're recording this now in april and I, I could be mistaken but i have friends that i follow on instagram and they're big fishers and i believe that they're catching salmon right now so that the window must be open fishing uh, salmon season must be open right now have you thought about doing any fishing out here on the california coast have you looked into that at all yeah i've actually looked into it i think with our schedule it's
0: going to be pretty hard to book a trip um but definitely you know maybe sometime i'd love to love to go do some uh you know some deep sea fishing or whatever it'd
1: be awesome so as you look back on your first year now we've still got a little bit to go but as you look back on your first year and you have that ability to take a deep breath and digest and recalibrate and reflect a little bit on that first season what do you think the thoughts are going to be after your first year finally comes to a full conclusion yeah, I think that you just have to really try to improve on all those things you said. I think,
0: um, you know, mentally, how can you come in and approach it uh, as a pro? Um, you play a lot more games than you do in college. Um, you're on the road a lot more. Um, you know, how can you build up your body in the off season and, and just be ready to, to, you know, hit the ice um, and, and get going uh, right away in training camp?
1: I know you were a marketing major during your college time you don't have to worry it right, right now. You don't have to worry about it right now. And hopefully you don't have to think about it for a while, but if you were not playing hockey, what do you think you'd be doing? Something in business? I think I still love business.
0: Um, I always try to work on some projects and, and still, you know, finishing my degree here. So, um, yeah, I've, I, I come from a bunch of small entrepreneur family, uh, you know, family and friends, they all do that. And, um, it's some, something I like to take my mind off is, is working on business plans and projects and stuff. So, yeah, it's been exciting.
1: So that may have been, that may be the answer, maybe a business class, but what was your favorite class at North Dakota? Is the one that really kind of stuck out? Ooh, um, I think
0: took an entrepreneurial class and that was really interesting. Um, you know, kind of trying to figure out how you start your, start a business, do market research, just kind of walks you through that. Um, I think that, you know, some of the classes I'm going to take this summer, Um, will be really exciting because you get into that kind of high-level marketing stuff and and I'm really excited
1: for that. Jasper Weatherby, Sharks, Barracuda Ford. we can't thank you enough, man. It's been great uh, getting to meet you this year. You're a great guy. I think uh, Sharks fans, not only from their experience getting to see you up top of the big club, but just down the road, they're going to be really happy about having you in the organization because One of the big things this organization looks for is not just good hockey players, but good people. And it's pretty evident so far during our time uh, having you with the Barracuda that you're a good guy. And uh, we appreciate, again, the the time. And best of luck down this final stretch of the season. Finish strong. And and good luck uh, going into year number two as well. Thank you. Can't wait to hit the waves, sir. Let's do it, man. Yeah. A big thank you to Jasper Weatherby for joining us and a reminder, the Barracuda return back to the ice on Saturday at the SAP Center for a 6 o'clock puck drop against the Henderson Silver Knights. We'll have pregame coverage starting at 5.30 at sjbarracuda.com listen through the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital and you can watch the game at ahltv.com That'll do it for this episode of Cuda Confidential I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.